0: All right, you're here in the new year. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's 2020. You made it. Some of you had to roll your way here. Some of us don't need to eat again for another two weeks, but we are here. We are a summoned people. We are a beloved bride. We are a called people, called to worship. Called into the worship of our King. And when God calls us, He calls us to write us in, to bring us into His story of rescue. To bring us in, to write us in, to fill us up with grace through singing, through prayer, through our confession of the creed, through the passing of the peace, through preaching, through the supper. Be sent out with a blessing. He writes us into his grace so that we, his children, can go out and re enchant the world. So that we can go to the lost and the lonely and the places where there is hurt and pain and perhaps nothing more than cold, hard, rational truths or despair. And we can re enchant the world with the mystery of this gospel, that we are created in the image of God. We are known by God. We are separated because of sin, but because of his son separation no more. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that every week. (laughs) I need to hear it every week. I need to hear it every day. I need the every hour to be called, to be summoned. To be invited to come into a place where there is a true word. For which one of you has the intelligence of Wikipedia? To possibly discern all the media biases in play and know that you know that you know with certainty what is and is not fake news. And don't we live in a world with enough fake news? We need a true word, but not just a true word. Although it must be that, it must be objective, universal, invariant, outside of our subjective inklings, a true word, but also a helpful word. The word become flesh, the word who has come down not only to be true, but truthfully helpful to us. And here's why, new year, same you, new year, same you, same me. New year, same me, and this week, I'll be honest with you, this week I had a little bit of a holiday coma. You guys know what I'm talking about? Kind of the seasonal doldrums. A little bit of melancholy, like, wait, I gotta go back to work? I've been in pajamas for a week. I don't even know what day it is. I don't even remember if I know where I work. And this week as I was studying the text, I, honestly, I'm just being honest with you. I want to be Honest with you, my family. We are one. We are all the sheep of God. I am not the Christ. We all need Jesus in the same way. I just got to thinking, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I need to hear your voice. Lord, will you you call me? Will you call out to, to me? I need to hear you. Lord, don't be silent. I want to hear you. I want to know you. And yes, like you, I know the Sunday school answer. And it's a good answer. And we'll get to it. We'll get to how so often we say, Lord, speak to me. And God's like, and blows the dust off your Bible. Like, hey, bro, I'm right here waiting to hang out. I know that answer, as do you. But but existentially in my soul, it was like, God, I I need you. I'm excited about 2020, but I'm already anxious about it. We're crying out loud. I'm excited about it, and I'm already thinking about the million things that I need to do that I can't control, that I don't have time to do, and Lord... Would you speak to me? So we're beginning a new series. This morning, as you already know, we're starting with the call to worship. But this series, if you look to the top of page 15, is called Rhythms of Grace. Because as we enter into the worship of God and the worship service of God, as we enter into the motions and rhythms of this liturgy, grace will be our song from first to last. And what we're going to do as we work our way up to Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter is we're going to explore in the scripture the elements of our worship. And it's funny, even just reading that aloud, I'm like, is that exciting? It's exciting to me. This isn't because your pastor ran out of ideas on what to preach. I want us to think about what it is we do when we come here, when we are called as we sing and pray and engage in these gifts of grace that God has given us. And I have three reasons for why we're doing this series. Here's the first one. Especially for our children and for our big children. I think it's important that we know what we believe and why. Or else this just becomes rote, it becomes duty, it becomes nothing more than a going through of the motions. And you may have noticed in the bulletin, we have a lot going on in our service. Why are these things here? Why are we doing these things? I want to encourage us in this series that they're not, they're not arbitrary. They're ways in which God desires to write us into His story precisely to reshape us that we might be the re-enchanters He has called us to be. I've been to a lot of churches in my day growing up and otherwise, and they all do things a little bit differently. And rarely do I hear explained the why of the what of the doing. And I feel like if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, not only does it become rote, but we can really miss the beauty of the truth that's presented in these rhythms of grace in which we partake. So to know what we believe and why, also just to think more deeply about the grace of God, the, the worship service is precisely that, a way for God to remind us weekly and remind us anew of how much we need Him to humble our pride. Man, for some of you, 2019 was a year of humility. It was a year of being reminded by the Lord in His goodness and His mercy as a father who disciplines the children that He loves that you cannot do it on your own. Sin seeks to deform us. By sin, I mean that apart from God's help, we love ourselves more than anything. It's called selfishness. And therefore, we are lawbreakers. God has said, live this way, it is good. And we've said, we're going to do it on our own. You may be calling us into worship, but we want to call the shots. Where sin deforms us, God gathers us weekly to reform us to reform us and to conform us to the person of Christ and to reconfirm his promises to us. So that what? Thirdly, we can leave here and shine for the glory of God. The idea of liturgy, the word itself, means the work of the people. The work of the people. God brings you here to work on you, to fill you, so that we might go out and do the work of the people. And here's my prayer, personally. In fact, I just talked to a couple before service who said, you know, someone invited us to come. And they kind of put it nicely. They didn't whack us over the head with the 40-pound Bible. They just said, you want to come to church? Sometimes I can be a little embarrassed to do that. Sometimes I can be a little bit afraid. Oh, what are they going to think of me? Or I can do it in a way that's overbearing. Well, you know, sit down and let me uh, bust out my systematic theology. In 2020, I want to shine. I want to invite People into the rhythms of God's grace, because Israel, the people of God, as we'll see in Psalm 100, they they were not meant to be brought into the presence of God to hide, but precisely so that they could be a light that would shine to the nations. So this week, our first rhythm of grace, the call to worship, we hear it every Sunday. This Sunday it was Psalm 95. To walk through the idea of call to worship, I picked Psalm 100, but that's out of hundreds of options. The Lord is constantly calling His people back to Himself to worship Him. But here's the main point this morning and why it matters. Why it is indeed a rhythm of grace for you individually, for your family, for the job that you're struggling to go back to in the new year, and for us all as we rejoice and mourn together. Because God is calling you. Even you, God is calling. Look at you. He's even calling you, and he knows you. He knows your belief and your disbelief. He knows your praise and your problems. He knows where you are willing to die to yourself and take up your cross, and where you are full of doubt. God is calling you. So what will you do? The first thing we need to do, according to this psalm, Psalm 100, is to ask this question. Who is it that calls us into worship? And I want us to do two things as we think about this. The first is not take for granted that God does actually call us into worship. Like, well, of course he does. Look at me. I'm awesome. Dial it back a little bit. Let's not take for granted that God does, in fact, call his people to worship him. And secondly, the nature of that call. So who calls us into worship? Psalm 100 tells us. And if you look over here at verse 3, you'll see, I love how the psalmist puts it. Exclamation points all over this psalm. Know that the Lord, Yahweh, L-O-R-D, know that the Lord, He is God. He is our Lord. How about how about 2020 starts there? How about the new year starts with that? Not me, not how I'm doing, not everything that's going on, not my situation, not my circumstances, not what I'm feeling, not my sense of being self-actualized. He is the Lord. In fact, it's mentioned three times in the psalm as if The psalmist is inviting us, come and make a joyful noise about this. Stand in awe at both his love and his holiness. Stand in awe at the God who was all in. This is the one who calls you into worship. He is all in, he is present, he is powerful, he is for you. He is our Lord. Two, Two main ways that I think the psalm shows us this first, because God knows, he knows our need. And he knows that our need is him. And so in that sense, the call to worship and worship itself is like jazz. I want you to think about the worship service like jazz. Anyone in here like jazz? T-Rex arm? I like jazz. Some of you are so cool. I don't really like jazz. I understand jazz. (laughs) Okay, congratulations. I want you to think of this as a jazz concert. You are not spectators here. This is not a movie theater where we come to be entertained. In fact, if it were that, you would be woefully disappointed. Because one week you're going to think, oh, that was great. And the next week, your preferences are going to get in the way. No, it's the opposite. God calls, he leads, he initiates, and we respond. Call and response. Call and response. The jazz of our worship. And what does God do? He calls us into this place. He calls us out of the world. He calls us out of our preferences, out of our circumstances, and into a new reality. He is the Lord. And what I love about this, oh, what I love about this, you guys, is that you don't need to get here 20 minutes early. You don't need to get here 20 minutes early with a lighter. Don't ever bring your lighter in this room. You don't need to get here 20 minutes early with a lighter and light all the candles on the front row. And, you know, give yourself a couple good whippings because we know what you did on Friday night. Some of y'all are on social media and you shouldn't be. You don't need to come in here and set up the bread and the food just right. Make sure there's a little incense pointing in every direction. You don't have to come and get yourself right and wash and be clean and be okay before you enter into the worship of God, because look, he initiates. He gets the first word. He is the bridegroom. He is the sovereign king of the universe and of you. And the psalm would have us know that this is where joy is found, not in our own works, our own abilities, our own merit, Our own New Year's resolutions, it's January 5th, most of them are already broken. Not in those things, but in knowing that He is the Lord. And the Lord cares. This is where all of our theology about He is the Lord who calls, who initiates, who sustains the rubber meets the road. I read a story this week from Paul Tripp, who's a pastor and preacher and speaker up in Philadelphia, and he talked about getting the phone call that no parent ever wants to get. He was five hours away from Philadelphia when he heard his wife's voice quaking on the phone, and his daughter had been walking down the street, and she was hit by a drunk driver. She was walking, and she was hit by a car. Now, thank the Lord Jesus, she survived but not without some serious injuries, multiple fractures to pelvis and ribs, internal bleeding. And Paul Tripp tells the story of a four-year process of pain and surgeries and prayer to finally get to a place where they were out of the woods. And Tripp talks about crying out to God, why, oh Lord? Why? Why would you let this happen? You know, there's a lot of bad people out there. There's a lot of people who are, you know, robbing and thieving and doing all kinds of bad. Why not them? And this is where the rubber hits the road. If if the voice that we're listening to, if if the thing that gets authority to call us is the siren songs of the world, buy this and you'll be happy. Much less the weak and feeble inner voice in our own souls. If that's the final word, we're in big trouble. But if he is the Lord, and if the Lord calls, and if his word is not only true, but as the psalm says, he is good, then even in the suffering and the challenges and the pain of 2019, and even in the phone calls not yet received in 2020, we can have joy. We can know that he is the Lord. He is our Lord because He knows our need. He is our Lord because He reigns. It's a kingship psalm. It's a psalm that points us to the King, Christ, the Messiah. Psalm 100 comes at the end of eight psalms, 93 to 100, that are focusing on the power and the kingship of God Himself. Verse 4 says, Enter His gates and enter His courts with praise. The psalm would have us know that he is the Lord not only over all the earth, but over his people who he made. He's our king. And I think this is a good point, again, to compare the other king options that we have out there. I love Psalm 115 that says, people make idols for themselves. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have hands, but they cannot serve. They have feet, but they cannot move. And so the fact that the invitation exists is incredible, but the nature of the invitation, the nature of the invitation is what should fill us with such great joy. Because all the other invitations out there, if they even exist, basically boil down to, yeah, you do some, I'll do some, and if I find the candles and the whipping and the bread satisfactory... Then I'll help you. And by the way, it's no different with our own little voices of self-help and pull yourself up by your bootstraps as well. If there is a voice calling, it only calls out in various forms of the law. Do this, be better, and maybe I'll help you. Various forms of works righteousness, and all of these callers are callers made in our own image. And so the call to worship, even as it is the Father leading us into mercy, is an opportunity to confess. Will you confess with me at the beginning of 2020? Will you confess with me at the beginning of this year how prone we are to wander? I'm a professional religious person, and I'm prone to wander. I get to listen to 48 sermons a day. That's all I do. And I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to hear these other calls. Buy me, love me, trust me, follow me. You'll be happy. Grandiose experiences of happiness await. And that's why we must be called anew weekly. Because in the the dissatisfaction of those calls, in those moments where we've, we've heeded the call and been let down again, we're prone to not only wander but wonder. Is God ready to give up on me? He calls, he calls consistently, he calls in mercy, and yet I I tend to listen to all these other voices. Will God give up on me? And so the next part here is is such good news because the question that gets begged out of who calls us into worship the Lord is who does he call? Would he call someone like me? Someone you might even think He might give up on? That's why my favorite verse in this psalm, my favorite verse in this psalm is the second part of verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. Man, if that doesn't fill us with joy and gladness and I don't know what will, but, but wait, it is he who made us and we are his. God is calling you into worship. He can and he will. He is the Lord. But as he calls you, remember, you are His. Could there be any greater comfort as we go into the new year? You are His. It's pretty incredible, actually, when you think about it. That God in His holiness, in His transcendence, in His perfection has every right to demand of us the duty of worship. And indeed, some of us, perhaps Some in my generation would do well to understand a bit more about duty and not just what feels good. But sin is the same in every generation, which is why these folks needed to sing this psalm with its seven commands, just as we do. It would be perfectly within the rights of God to say, you know what? I'm the Lord, you're not. Show up and do it. I know what's best for you. It's a command, not a suggestion. But what's so incredible about the fact that we are his, that we are invited, the psalm says, come into my presence, is that it's not only duty, it's delight. God has every right to call us, and yet in calling us, he gives us every gift to enter in. That's why Matthew 11 tells us, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, this is where you need to be. This is where you need to be because this isn't where we just go through the motions like a bunch of dutiful religious people. It's not a cemetery of the religious who wind up the clock and let it go. No, this is a hospital where the broken can be called out to Come in, enter. Your needs can be met because God is enough. Even when you're enough, even when your, your last year wasn't enough, God is enough. So we are invited because we are His. We are invited to meet with Him, to be with Him, to go to church. And I know it can be hard. Let's just get honest again. There's no weird guilt here about, you better be here every single Sunday. In fact, I've, I've joked with Caitlin before. If I didn't work at a church, there might be some Sundays it would be hard to get here. Little kids and life and lots going on. No, it's the opposite. It's God's promise that this is the best place for us to be. That that, that sports can be recorded. That cell phones can be turned off. That other things can be set aside because this is where we are reshaped, reformed, reconfirmed in the love and the promise of God. And so we are invited to come and to be with the Lord and with each other. To open our Bibles throughout the week. To get into God's word. Some of you can can imagine if you were in a relationship, perhaps with a husband or a wife or a best friend or a child. And you said, I love you, I care about you, but I don't plan on spending any time with you. I love you, I care about you, I really want to know you. You get one hour a week, but I'm going to be distracted. We can't hear if we don't listen. And we can't listen if we don't spend time. And so that's the invitation. The invitation is come in, Be mine and spend time with me, the person of God himself. You are his. We are invited and we are led. And I love this part. We are his sheep, the psalm says, the sheep of his pasture. So we're invited. It's grace, it's mercy, but we are also guided. We are led. God doesn't just invite you in, come in, let me know you, love you, save you cleanse you of your sin and the finished work of my son Jesus. And then, good luck. Hope you live an okay life. No, we are both invited and guided. So in the psalm, the Lord is both the king who summons and the shepherd who sustains. Oh, that is good news for a new year. If one leaves... The father leaves the 99 to go after the one. If the Lord sees one of his sheep straying away from green pasture, he gets out his shepherd's crook and brings him back. If the Lord sees wolves among the sheep, he takes out his rod to get rid of the wolves. If the Lord sees one of his sheep not going to fresh water, but stale pools, he leads him to streams of living water. The father is our shepherd. The pasture is his. There's a couple ways in which we're led. And here I just want to encourage humility. I'm not super humble because I'm amazing. And it's hard to be humble because of how amazing you all are. But I want to encourage some humility here that... That if he is the Lord, and if we are his, and if we are his children, both invited and led, then it would make sense. That yes, yes, love, grace, mercy, Jesus loves me, this I know, all true. But the nature of that love, the nature of that love convicts, cares for, prunes, sanctifies, turns us away from sin, which destroys, and turns us back to God. So we are first led away. And that's what God wants to do. As he calls us into worship every week, he wants to bring us here to say, I love you, I know you, let's deal with some stuff. Let's not just gloss over it. Let's not be fake about it. Let's not put on church face and pretend it isn't there. You don't need to hide, I already know. Adam, Adam, why were you hiding from me? Why did you sew up this ghetto little fig leaf? I see you, I know you, because of Christ the second Adam, because God has died for our sins, because he has atoned for our transgressions, because the work is done because it is finished, we don't need to hide. So we can come, as Christians, humbly to be led away from our sin. There's a a few places in the Old Testament where the language of sheep and shepherds is used, but most prominently in two prophets, Jeremiah chapter 23 and Ezekiel 34. God speaks words of shepherding love and conviction to his people. He calls them to repent. He calls them to turn from that which destroys and dissatisfies. And he does it in two ways. The first thing he does is he judges bad shepherds. Bad shepherds. Bad pastors, preachers, leaders, and teachers. So let's make a commitment to one another, okay? Here's my guarantee for you, my family, who come here to this place, which is the church of Jesus the Christ. You may not always hear your favorite sermon. You may not always hear your favorite song. Some days you might be super distracted. Some days you're really into it. You're feeling it. You almost even did the Presbyterian, like, six-degree angle hand raise. Careful, careful. Don't let the Holy Spirit too close. But I know this. When we come here, we're going to get into the Word of God. And we're going to ask, what did this mean in its original context and genre to the original hearers? And how does God want to show us Jesus through the true and good Word He has revealed? That I can guarantee. Because if I'm not doing that, guess what? The elders have their own shepherd's crook. And that's how that works. So there's judgment on bad shepherds, but then there's also judgment on fat sheep. Fat sheep, not physically, spiritually. Judgment on fat sheep because they eat and they consume and they eat and they consume and they never serve and they never exercise. They hear the word of God. They don't do the word of God. And the result of that in ancient Israel was always injustice. The poor are marginalized. The widow and the fatherless are marginalized. Those who are in need are pushed to the margins, and those on the inside consolidate their power and then cook up a bunch of reasons that that's okay to do. That's not the kingdom of God. So we need to be led away from bad shepherds who don't preach the word of God and the gospel, and fat sheep who hear but never move. We are led away, but we are led to. We are led to the one who can supply all of our needs. Again, verse 5. Don't take for granted that this is in here. For the Lord is good. His nature, His character, His disposition to you, I am good. His final word to the whole universe is yes, I love you. In the death of Jesus, His Son. And so in Jeremiah 23, we also see that there will be a king. A king in the line of David who will reign on the throne of David forever. And in Ezekiel 34, this king will bring an everlasting covenant, promise, unbreakable contract of peace. He is the Lord. He knows and reigns. But the we are his means not only that we are invited but we are led to the one who can supply all that we need to trust and believe the invitation. So the psalm ends with this beautiful Hebrew parallelism, these two perfections of the love of God, his steadfast love, his covenant unbreaking love, and his faithfulness. We are led to his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And don't you need that? Don't I need that? In this new year, calling out to God, where are you? Calling out to God, where were you? Calling out to God, why? And this is his promise to us. You may not understand it all, but hear me summoned ones. I am the Lord and you are mine. My love will endure forever. My faithfulness to all generations. And if that's true, if we are led away from what kills and led to what supplies, then we are led for the purpose of giving thanks. Make a joyful noise in the world. I love what uh, Derek Kidner says about this verse. He says, to make a joyful noise is to shout like some of us were doing yesterday when God brought judgment down on the Patriots. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Just kidding, John. I had to. As a Bills fan, it's my only consolation. (laughs) Oh. Kidner says it's to make a joyful noise, to shout. And it's not a nod, hear this, it's not a nod of consolation to the tone deaf. It doesn't mean, oh, make a joyful noise, means, oh, make whatever noise you can as best you can. No, primarily it means to pay homage and to shout in rejoicing at kingly fanfare, to acknowledge vocally that the whole earth and your whole life is claimed for God. So if steadfast love and faithfulness are true, then we respond with thanks. Lord, we've had ups and downs in 2019 and will have in 2020, but you have been faithful to us. We breathe. We're here. We've had trials. We have wounds. Restore us, O Lord. Know these things, but you have been faithful. And so we thank you. The thing I love about giving thanks, I was supposed to bring these up and I didn't, is that it can be so simple. We're going to end with this. Some of you know that we had a little box out there where people could write letters to Jesus during Advent. These are a few of the letters that were in the box. Simple thanks and praise from the mouth of babes, from the children of our church. Dear Jesus, thank you for always being here for me. Some of us pray for like 28 minutes and your prayer's not that good. (laughs) Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. Dear Jesus, happy birthday. Thank you for simply taking care of my family this year. (laughs) Simple thanks. Here's one of my favorites I heart me which could be misconstrued, but I don't think so. If God loves you, you can love yourself. And of course, this one is my favorite. I love G. Thank you, kids. Thank you. No, I'm pretty sure that was for God and not for Greg. And lastly, from one of our youngest little sisters in the church, dear Jesus, thank you for sacrificing yourself for us. I love learning about you, and it makes me very happy we are led away from our sin we are led to the one who can supply and we are led for simple giving thanks for the God who is faithful and whose love endures forever he stands at the door and he knocks God is calling you what will you do let us believe today let's pray Father in heaven, we thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness. We acknowledge with awe, but as invited ones with joy, that you are the Lord, you are the King. We want to start 2020 there, not with the little G gods of works, righteousness, and do better and try harder, but then having received that grace, we want to be led, we want to be helped. We want to turn from that which kills and turn to you. Help us, Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief that we may respond in thanks, that we may be rescued and filled and sent to re-enchant the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.